You are listening to Natural Born Alchemist. Welcome to episode number 328 of the Natural Born Alchemist podcast. My name is Alex and I'll be your host. In this episode we are going to discuss Atlantis with the humanity hoax. This is a topic that has always fascinated me ever since I got the book Atlantis the Antiluvian World for a buck in a used bookstore a book written by Ignatius Donnelly. And this awesome book was published in 1882 and attempts to establish that all known ancient civilizations were descended from its high Neolithic culture. Let's get into it with the humanity hoax. So thanks for being on the podcast. Uh, Thank you for inviting me on. It's good to to be here. So can you tell the listeners a bit about who you are and, and what you do? Okay. Um, yes. So um, this is um, my name is Jamie, and um, I'm about to start my YouTube channel, which is the Humanity Hoax. Um, I've been uh, a, a philosophy student m- for most of my life. I did my my um, I studied philosophy at university, and it captured my interest in um, ancient history, ancient archaeology, and a lot of the myths and um, legends that are often to be told to be allegories of uh, stories, um, I started to wonder if there was some truth in, in them and what the truth that might be. Um, and the story that particularly caught my attention was that around Atlantis and um, catastrophism generally, which is things being destroyed rather than the uniform materialism, where the, there's a linear course of history. Um, and that's what's caught my attention. So for maybe about 20 years now um i've 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 read and listened to many other speakers and traveled and listened to conferences um and built up some uh, sort of a wider interest in in the topic and now that i've got slightly into later life and having having read quite a lot um i've wanted to start putting my own ideas and drawing some of these ideas together and putting together my own theory of what i think may have happened um which brings us to brings us to today is the, the beginnings of me now starting to write as opposed to just being an avid listener on the topic. So what is the hoax with humanity? Um, so that's a good question. Um, one I've been asked a couple of times. Um, the, 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 the theory that I'm proposing um, isn't quite as radical as the, there's some, uh, some theories people think that everything was by aliens and there's all sorts of a broad um, uh, challenge to the to the standard beliefs that um humanity kicked off about five or six thousand years ago with people building buildings and prior to that everybody were just hunter gatherers and that there wasn't um a long period of human history um where i and a number of think different thinkers who are often referred to as pseudoscientists is that there is that history is much older um, most of the listeners are probably familiar with the likes of Graham Hancock. Um, in fact, I think he's got a TV show on at the moment now. Um, and writers such as such as him, Randall Carlson being another one, um, who look at the archaeological uh, evidence and propose different theories, and that that we didn't the Egyptians didn't just build the pyramids and then forget how to do it and so on. Um, so the, ho- the hoax, in my sense, being that there is a standard 
form of history which is taught, an accepted version of history which is taught. Um, but I don't believe that that is entirely true. And there's um, the, the the agenda behind teaching it comes from a number of ways. Um, partly because it's been accepted for so long that change is often anyone challenging um, the, the the norm is often sort of what well, we like in Galileo's case just locked in a tower for the rest of your life. So stepping outside of what's what's accepted is often seen as quite challenging um, and scary for some cases. Um, also in as as the world stands at the moment, the majority of the world um, has a religious background. And the a lot of the religious texts, not all, but a lot of the religious texts have an agreed timeline of events and for, to to stand against or to challenge some of these can be seen as quite dangerous in some cases because you're essentially arguing against the masses and what's been taught. Um, so again, the, 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 there are scientists who've stepped out of and, and spoken out against it and their works inevitably just get tossed to the side or discredited or, as I said, referred to as pseudoscience, even when the scientists involved um, can put fairly substantial um, concrete archaeological evidence behind them. But because it's not seen as the norm, they can be sort of cast out. Um, so w- what I'm trying to do for me, uh, for my own, is, is rather than f- fix on a particular um a particular part of the topic is to try and draw in from a number of topics so rather so it's rather than just being sort of focused on one area and specialize is to use different sources to corroborate each other and in the western world um, we fixate on some very small parts of history but by drawing in global history and a lot of the what we might call myths others might call history um there is some corroborating evidence some quite substantial corroborating evidence um, to, to evidence that humans have been here a long time. We're a lot more advanced than we uh, are taught or permitted to believe um, by the education system. Um, I mean, it was only sort of 500 odd years ago that we still thought the earth was flat. Is it? I mean, it's, there's a lot of, and call it, you know, a thousand years ago, and we thought the sun went around the earth. It's, it's not that long ago that we, we believed these things and took them as fact. Um, and we like to see, we like to think that humanity is as evolved as we can be. And really, we're just on the beginnings of a journey. We're still, we still don't know what's under the sea for the majority of the sea. But that's the planet we live on. So for the, for us to have an expectation, we understand everything that's ever happened in history, everything that's going on in our solar system, even we, we don't even know what the whole of our own moon looks like um, during that because there's, there's it's there's so much we don't know um, and I'm not professing to have the answers to all of that um, but that's what that's where my sort of my journey's begun is to start looking at and, and seeing what do we really know and what evidence is there or what 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 are we taught as fact that actually isn't or there there's there's an alternative version that might be at least as credible um the, the, the key the sort of a key point my my, my dissertation um which is 20 odd years ago now um i was proposing well i challenged the the norm to say that generally it's accepted that either you're a scientist or you have religious belief to loosely categorize them either that the bible's true and we're six thousand years old um to go down the fundamentalist 
line all that the science is true and the Earth is four and a half billion years old. And I wanted to propose a theory that was at least as credible as the other two. Not that it had to be right, just at least it would stand up. Um, and that was really the beginnings of this because I sort of convinced myself by just trying to argue that there's flaws in both of those. And there was flaws in my argument too, admittedly, but at least it would stand up to be counted amongst it. And then having done so much reading for my dissertation is what I've carried that journey on since then. It's funny now that some of these mainstream scientists, or maybe not, maybe it's not the scientists, but it's funny now that they call the uh, the the people who believed that there was a more advanced civilization uh, before the official history that uh, they're like racists, <laughs> and uh, as, like, uh, and I always find that funny. Uh, their argument is that, uh, like, uh, to claim that Egyptians couldn't build the pyramids is racist. To claim that somebody else did it, but the people that that say that, I think they are racist because they assume that uh, the race of people before the Egyptians. I mean, we don't know what race it was, and none of the people involved in alternative ways to look at it. Uh, none that I know anyway, ever focus on race, you know? It's irrelevant in a sense. It is, and I I find it quite disappointing, really, that, um, as you mentioned, race being brought into it. Um, And also, I I find it quite exciting to think that we might actually be older and that there could could have been history a long time ago. And there's so much evidence around. And there's, like I kind of alluded to earlier, there's, there's, I think there's, possibly two reasons um why too big apart from it's the accepted timeline of history um and there's lots of reasons and uh, that that people might not want to do that i said religion being one of them um that that would very much upset quite a lot of people um because it's essentially arguing with quite a lot of different religions so their version of events is not true but even if it even if it um religion not being a factor um because we don't know the answers to a lot of things, um, even being able to teach it would be difficult because there's so many gaps, there's so many things throughout the world that we just can't explain the evidence of. And um, some some of the archaeological sites, which I'll come to during tonight, um, are just so fascinating that we we don't know how they built them. And I'll chat about the pyramids a little later on. Um, But the accepted, the accepted, the, the stones were carved out 500 miles to the south of Aswan and dragged by people up to where the pyramids are built it's it's I mean it's taught to very small children as accepted because your average five or six year old isn't going to challenge that um but it's interesting that most most young children primary school children um could tell you who built the pyramids but couldn't tell you who built St Paul's Cathedral in London it's interesting that we focus on some of those things. And it's especially that, I mean, my own primary school were teaching us about the Egyptians and the Greeks building things long before our own history. Um, and the, the cynic in me thinks that that's partly because if you can teach certain things as fact at such a young age, um, <laughs> to, to use a slightly stupid example, but you're teaching children about when the Egyptians exist before they even know that... Um, Father Christmas is a figment of quite a lot of people's imagination. 
Um, it's at the same time we're teaching those things. Um, so it's teaching an exceptionally young age when you do just accept everything as fact. But I think if we hadn't taught Egyptian history until children or adults into their sort of teens and early 20s, I think there'd be a lot more challenging questions. But by that age now, in the, certainly in the United Kingdom, um, it's, it's just accepted as fact. And if you if you dare challenge it by that time, you're, you're sort of seen as a bit of an outcast and strange. Um, so then it's very easy to discredit anything that comes up in history surrounding that. So a civilization, sorry, a city might be found. Uh, again, I've, I've got examples that a little later to chat through, but under the Mediterranean, the, the fact that that might be 10,000 years old is brushed aside because nobody existed 10,000 years ago because that was what was taught at a young age. So that it's it's very easy if you can put the foundations in place at, at such a young age, it becomes then very easy to discredit anything else in history that, that doesn't conform to that. Um, so, yes, so, so sort of touching on my own point there. So I would be considered a catastrophist. Um, and what, what that means is that... Um, History doesn't have a, a completely um, uniform history that we, we've gradually got smarter and smarter and got to the point where we are today. I think there have been um, reset events um, over the course of history and that these events can come, they can come back by any any sorts of ways. Um, the, the most recent ones, I think, and I, I align with Graham Hancock on this particular one, um, I think that the last 20,000 years of Earth's history have been um, in, interspersed with um, events from a passing comet. It's impacted us a number of times, um, and I'll talk about that a little later on, some of the details, but we've had um, our, our, our ancestors have referred to comets not only striking the Earth, but coming past the Earth, and there's a lot of mythology around a particular set of comets coming around um, around to us I think that there could have been human history could have gone back on countless there's there's bits of history dotted around some saying humans could have been around 150 200 even 250,000 years ago um, it's not an area of history that I specialize in nor profess to have any extensive knowledge on but when if humans had been around for let's say 250,000 years um the ever if there had been any number of catastrophic uh, catastrophes in that period the evidence that would still be here would be almost untraceable um and there's a book um by an author called alan um i presume he pronounces it weissman it could be weissman w-e-i-s-m-a-n um, and it's called the world without us it's a fantastic read um he's not in any way um so a catastrophist he's not a pseudoscientist his book is entirely based on um physical evidence of if you've snapped your fingers today and humans just disappeared off of the earth in the middle of whatever they're doing like us in the middle of this podcast how long would it take for certain elements to just disappear how long would it take for the buildings to fall down and he talks through how long it would take to essentially erase humanity from earth not by a not by any sort of catastrophic event, not by floods, fires, extermination by aliens, world war, anything like that. It's just the disintegration of our history. And all barring 
the major megalithic stone buildings and structures, he estimates around about 10,000 years, which, again, will be very relevant as I'm talking about a couple of other things later on. Um, but 10,000 years is the figure he gives, and his agenda is not to say that humans have existed before. But if we, if we, est if we speculated that humans had been here for, say, 30,000, 50, 100,000 years, using his book as, and it's relatively scientific based as well, um, which he, and he quotes his sources, so it isn't just speculation. The guy knows what he's talking about. Um, if humans had existed a quarter of a million years ago, essentially there'd be no trace of them now. Um, so we wouldn't just be able to sort of <laughs> download, you know, get onto Wikipedia and have a look at what was there, because if, if the stone buildings were all that's left after 10,000 years, allowing for um, floods and ice ages and things, those traces, they're just going to be gone. Um, and there's things that have existed in our own in the last 500 years that have, that have fallen to pieces in that time. So for something to have lasted 100,000 years, there just wouldn't be the evidence. So throwing in things like cometary impacts, earthquakes, volcanoes, the earth in itself is a fairly dangerous place to live, even without humans wrecking it and bombing each other and whatever we've got going on. So it's not beyond the realms of possibility for humans to have existed for such a long time. And that's where one of my frustrations with the orthodox science that's taught is it's taught as if there couldn't possibly have been an ancient history beyond the timeline. And the reality is, there may or may not have been, but we wouldn't know if there was unless there was evidence handed down to us. And there is some, and again, I'm, I keep referring to what I'm going to talk because I don't want to go too outside on my um, my agenda tonight. Um, but I'll talk about that a little bit, a little bit as we um, as we go on. The particular, the particular one that's always caught my interest, as I mentioned before, um, was Atlantis. And the reason why Atlantis has 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 always captured my imagination is because it's it's much closer. There's a, the, 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 the details around Atlantis are very quite, are quite specific. Um, and there's quite a lot of evidence to, to prove, uh, well, to, to argue for um, its existence. Um, so I suppose that the, 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 the thing that the key question is, um, what is and what, or what was Atlantis? And Atlantis, there's, there's, there's numerous books about what Atlantis may or may not have been but actually all references to Atlantis really come back to um, and Atlantis specifically come back to um, Plato and there's a book of Plato's called the Timaeus and Critias Critias I never quite know how to pronounce that Timaeus and Critias where he is having a philosophical discussion with um, with the two of them around a number of things, as Plato did, if any of your listeners are familiar with Plato, nearly all of Plato's books are him discussing possibilities and having discussions in the street with people. Um, in this particular book, he talks about Atlantis. And the idea being that there was, uh, I won't go right through the whole, stop, the whole story, but he talks about Atlantis being um, an ancient civilization that ultimately was destroyed um by some, it was smited down um, by the gods for living such a, a decadent um, lifestyle that God essentially tired of them, or a, a god tired of them and erased it from the earth. Now, 
Plato is, is taught, as it was to me at university, um, is taught as um, an allegory for um, essentially if you do bad things, there will, bad things will happen. The difference with the Atlantis story, as with a lot of Plato's stories, is he isn't talking about it as um, an allegory. Allegory. Uh, he is talking. He gives very specific details, um, not only about what um, Atlantis was like, but he places it and gives it a timestamp, which is exceptionally specific. Um, and the beauty of the Atlantis story is it can be corroborated. So again, there, there's there's plenty of videos and and podcasts to go into the the granularity of this. So I'm giving sort of a precy of this part of it, but essentially he describes a a ringed city with um, rings of land and water, um, with a central aisle. He is specific around the, that there's um, a mountain range to one side of it with waterfalls. The stone in the area is white, black, and red that there is a, an entrance to the south, which has got access to the sea, which is a, a, like a, a canal out to the sea. Um, so that he's, very, he's very specific. Um, he also says that it appears um, to the, um, the west, the gates of um, the, the pil Pillars of Heracles, um, which we now know to be um, the western end of the Mediterranean. Um, and so there's, there's very specific time in, in, in his in his description of it. Um, and he also dates it, sort of looking for my notes to get the numbers right. So to be, um, so he when he's visiting, he dates it to be around about 9,000 years prior to when they're discussing it. And they're discussing this around about three to 400 BC, which places it loosely around about 11 and a half thousand years ago. Give or take a number of years, but, but it's, it's a within within a few years of eleven and a half thousand years ago. Um, so the history of so Atlantis being a place where there are some other mythological stories which aren't specific. Plato's very very specific. He's describing something that he believes a story that's been passed down to him, um, a story that he believes is true. Um, and there are a number of other stories where it's quite obvious that they're describing something that is just myth. But for Plato, it's not. He is very, very specific about it. Um, and he's also described he's, the, the story's been passed by Solon, um, which was an ancestor of Plato's a couple of hundred years before, maybe three, four generations ahead of him. Solon made the, uh, the trip to Egypt himself. And it was the Egyptian high priest or priests that were telling him this story to say that this they were aware of this happening in the past. So... Again, it's a story that's been passed from person to person as if it was as a, as a true story. Um, so we've got a physical location for it in Plato's mind, which was out towards the west. We've got physical descriptions of what the land looked like, even down to the colour of the stones, the ring structure and so on. Now, when Plato described Atlantis, um, there was it, 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 no... the the the, the What's the word I'm looking for? Um, the, the there was no corroborating evidence at the time. We were still very much limited by the technologies of, of the time and have been for the majority of our lives. Um, so Atlantis was always referred to as an island, which isn't the greatest translation of that word because um, the the word that was used in the in the 
Greek translation was nasos or nason, which can mean an island, but an island doesn't have to be an area of land surrounded by water. An island can be, almost in the sense of no man is an island, um, it can be an area that is surrounded by something else. So it could also mean a land within a continent, so an isolated or a distinct area within a continent. Um, so the, the the theory that Atlantis had to be an island in the middle of the Atlantic Ocean, it didn't need to be that. It's just been, become the accepted norm because of the translation. But the words themselves can just mean an area an area surrounded by, an isolated area surrounded by land, uh, which is going to be re- very relevant because everyone was looking for Atlantis to be out into the, the middle of the Atlantic Ocean. But then in the 1950s, I can't remember the year off the top of my head, um, once we started throwing satellites up into space, um, the a, a very distinct, very strange looking area of the west, on the western side of Africa, Mauritania to be be exact um there is a a very odd structure which is we refer to as the ricat structure um which is coincidentally i'm sure um almost identical in its diameter to as plato describes atlantis he describes it as 30 kilometers wide the ricat structure is just under 30 kilometers wide and you can, I mean, you can go and Google Earth this. It's not, it's not just in conspiracy theory textbooks. Um, it is a very obviously ringed structure. Um, history or the the ge- geologists teach that it was a collapsed um, volcanic event, and the volcano has collapsed in on itself, um, which could be feasible. But there's no evidence of anything that's ever happened like this anywhere else on the planet. There's no other Rickat structures which you'd expect there to be at least another somewhere and it just happens to be where Plato describes it it's got mountains to the north with and at the moment it's in a desert but you can see that the mountain range to the north there are lines coming down over the hills to the north which obviously were waterfalls at one point it has an exit point to the south exactly where Plato said it was Uh, archaeologists who've been to the site have found evidence of red black and white stone in the area um, there is lots of in within the rings at the bottom of the rings. There is a lot of evidence of um, of salt, which not so, not something you typically would find in the desert, but would be um, very consistent with water having been in the area. So there's a, there's a lot around Atlantis, or let's go sorry, a lot around the Rickett structure that uh, uh, would tick many boxes for it to have been um, for it to have been that it could have been Atlantis in the past. So it would be, if it is a coincidence, it would be an astonishing coincidence that Plato has made up a story about a, an ancient city or, and a civilization based from this city, and it happens to be almost identical to what he's described and in the right place as well. So it's, it's a, huge, um, a huge coincidence not beyond the realms of it possibly being a coincidence, but it is a little bit too close to just dismiss um, to dismiss out of hand. I find it funny that if if you imagine nobody knows about the pyramids or knew about who built them, and then some guy comes along and says that it was a uh, tribal gathering hunting society, and then they 
built the pyramids. And nobody would accept that, but they do now. So uh, it sounds more logical that it, there was some sort of other civilization. I mean, if you look at evolution, it always goes in steps. Nobody goes from hunter-gatherer to building a pyramid. They go to building something and then something else, and then they build a pyramid. So the, some sort of Atlantis version s sounds more plausible, uh, you know, Occam's Razor and all that. Yeah, it does. And and that, that being a, a good example. So um, up until not too long ago, the accepted timeline was that the people, essentially, we had hunter-gatherers who one day decided to build the, arguably the most complex buildings ever built on Earth. Um, and the, there are a number of other theories on what the pyramids do. We can save those for another day. Um, but even if they are just temples, they're astonishingly difficult to build. And we, we can't build anything that's remotely like those now. But that was accept, the accepted timeline. And then over the last number of years, we've started digging up um, other, we find finding other archaeological sites that are even older. So like Gobekli Tepe, um, that's now been dated to 11 and a half, 12,000 years ago. So the, the, the timeline would be that humans were hunter-gatherers. They built, I mean, Gobekli Tepe is about 50 times the size of Stonehenge. It's colossal. They built this giant temple gathering area, whatever, whatever it may turn out to be, and then did nothing for 6,000 years and then built the pyramids and then forgot how to do those and built nothing for a number. It, it just doesn't make sense that that would be that that would be what what humans have done what let alone the incentive for um for building them or how they've built them but we teach that as if it's fact and it's just accepted and just questioning it it just doesn't make common sense that we that we would we would do that regardless of, of any sort of conspiracy behind it as i said it's hunter-gatherers don't just get bored and build what was the tallest building on earth until well, the Great Pyramid was the tallest building on Earth until Lincoln Cathedral in England was built. Um, and that was thousands of years older. So for, for that to have been um, for, for that to have been the such a um, it's buildings out of the blue. And there's nothing. Well, there is some buildings like them on Earth, but there's there's, no, there's nothing else historically within the timeline to say that that, that makes logical sense for that to have been um, for that to have been the step. I think it's interesting with time, uh, if we look at our current world, I mean, we could say that the Western world is a sort of loose kind of empire, even though there's many different countries, but the Western standard modern life form, um, uh, and it's, it's about 100 years, I guess you could say, with the Industrial Revolution, uh, so it's like an empire that's 100 years old, and I recently looked on Wikipedia the length of different empires in history and uh, most of them are, are way longer than a hundred years. Some of them are like a thousand years or two thousand years and or five hundred years, even two hundred years, which is twice the length of our current empire. And uh, so I, just the fact that you, if you imagine uh, before the pyramids, if there was some sort of ancient civilization um, I'm sure it lasted longer than 100 years, uh, meaning that the 100 years empire we're in now, you know, like it, it wouldn't even be worth remembering compared to other empires of history, you know, at least considering time. I mean, can you imagine if 
uh, imagine if our current Western world was a thousand years old. You know, uh, that would put some weight behind. But it, it's so new. So when people are talking about, oh, there might be a world war or there might be this pandemic is going to wipe us all out and that. And I'm thinking uh, we haven't even started with this empire yet. It, it, we're just at the beginning. So it, it doesn't really... Uh, when you when when the universe looks at it, it it's just a, a drop in the ocean. It is, and I heard I heard I have, and I I can't. It, it it sounds right as a fact. I haven't checked the exact maths, but it's we close enough. Someone pointed out to me the other day that we are currently further from the point at which we launched the, our first satellite into space than that satellite going into space was from the first time we ever flew. Which is staggering, really, because <laughs> we were only flying. It was it ninety? It was the nineteen tens, wasn't it? When the Wright brothers first managed to get a plane off the ground, and we've, we're the satellites in space within fifty years. It's staggering. We are, as you said, we, we're just, we're just a blemish in history. Some, if we, anything interesting that we've done, I mean, the industrial revolution was really around the world was the sort of the eighteen fifties, wasn't it? It's only one hundred and fifty to two hundred years ago staggering it is absolutely staggering that we we consider ourselves advanced and really we are we're just we're, we're just learning to walk in the um in the in the grand scheme of things it's a, an interesting theory could be that i mean when you say that this ancient civilization that uh, it had like uh, computers and and this kind of technology that might be too much for people but uh, I just thought of the idea that um, because you can see all over the world there are structures that I mean how I mean this could be evidence that it was a global civilization that they all had uh, uh, that they were all connected somehow and um, and people always think about uh, ships being the connecting way of transportation but I mean like. Uh, balloons or or some sort of flying vehicle uh, could also make make sense because you don't need to have computers or things like that to to make a flying vehicle I mean if you if you build like some sort of ancient version of a a zeppelin or or just an air balloon yeah, I, and 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 I, I do. I while I'm focusing tonight on Atlantis specifically, um, Atlantis, I don't believe was just one city, and the rest of the world were living in caves. I think there was a global, um, a global civil. In fact, I can talk about a little. That brings me neatly onto that. Um, so some of the lost technologies that could have been there. Um, it's very easy, as I said, that it's very easy using the the Alan Wiseman's book about history being able to be destroyed so quickly um because it's one of the challenges that that i have had and a number have had is how 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 old how could how could everything have been destroyed where's it all gone what evidence have we got um and what could have caused it now i i stand with a number of people to feel that um i think our recent history so everything covering atlantis and the most recent advanced civilizations um i think we were um struck by comets now there's u- usual um uh comets so a bit like the comets hitting the dinosaurs we accept that all the dinosaurs all died when a huge comet smashed down on earth and killed everything and it was only it, the in the 1970s that that theory was really proposed in great detail was mocked quite a lot 
Um, and the Chicxulub Crater, I never pronounced that, Chicxulub Crater in Mexico, was only found in the 1990s. It was only found a number of years before the Jurassic Park movie was, um, I think that went out in 96. So it was just a few years before um, that we even accepted that a comet could have wiped out the dinosaurs. So the thought of an impact event wiping out humanity um, is, is a relatively new idea to us. However, it isn't that that um, wild of a theory to um, to our ancestors. So, um, but I, I, I combine a number of theories for this and then adding my own, my own take on it. Um, so I think we weren't just hit once. Um, I think there have been a number of um, impact events over the last 20,000 years. Um, so we, at the moment, pass, we now pass through... Um, well, there's two. We pass through two bands of comets every year. If you're in the northern hemisphere, um, we have the Perseids, which we pass through in around about August, um, and they're very pretty, and you get lots of little things, little comets flying through the sky, um, and it just looks, just it's like sparkles. There's nothing majorly big loitering out there. Um, the ones of interest, though, are the Taurids. The Taurids are particularly interesting because we pass through them twice, um, there's the northern ones, northern Taurids, which we pass through from about late October to early December, and the southern Taurids, which we pass through from middle of September to about November. And they're loosely up, and if you look up in the sky, if you know where all the baronies in Taurus, which is a nice, bright, um, kind of ready colour one in the sky, it's one that's going to blow up at some point soon. Um, if you look out, sort of to the east of it in the sky at that time you'll see them and you get maybe five to ten comets an hour so if, if you're eagle-eyed enough watching at midnight you can see them now we're passing through a bit of the torrids at the moment and um, so it's it's a bit like earth it circles the sun um it was or it's speculated to have been a part of a huge comet called enki and that name comes up a lot in mythology there's a lot of the ancient cultures refer to enki being um a number of <laughs> a number of things um, he's always known to be the god of wisdom, the god of knowledge, interestingly the god of creation, um, and creation isn't always created out of something, creation can be, can include birth and rebirth, um, but also Enki is known to be, in Greek mythology, um, he uh, is also known as Prometheus, who is the god of fire, and Poseidon, who is the god of sea, storms, earthquakes, and something I'll come to later, horses. But th th for those gods, fire, sea, storms, earthquakes, and creation, for a god to be named to be known, god for the god to be known for those, and the same comet that we pass through the debris um, of this band, the Taurids as we know them. Um, it, it seems there's a little rather coincidence with that. Now, there is a large piece of this comet still lurking around, which we still call Enki. Um, and that's a little way off us at the moment. It's it's not loitering around. Um, it's pr presently kind of out on the other side of the solar system. So it isn't coming back soon. But in historical terms, um, soon enough, this thing has come past us a few times over the last five to 10, 15,000 years. So the ancients know about this. They they've paid a lot of attention to uh, Enki and the debris chain. And it's this debris train, chain that I uh, think has caused the destruction of the last 20,000 years. Um, 
Graham Hancock's published video around about the Younger Dryas, which is, is interesting. I disagree with some parts of it, but he refers to that we were struck twice. Uh, the Younger Dryas event was uh, an event where the polar ice caps on Earth, particularly the north, um, polar ice caps had two fundamental changes over a staggeringly short period of time geologically, um, where the temperature on Earth crashed down very low, spiked up very high, crashed back down again, and has come back up to our current temperature. So it was huge. Not The, the incremental changes uh, were small. Now, some challenges we've had before, of the, these things have happened before. Um, and so the usual challenge is that this is part, part and parcel of over the last, let's say, 100,000 years, million years that these have happened before, and that these are normal uh, as part of Earth's um, evolution, if you like. That's probably the right word. Um, my challenge back is that I think we've been hit by comets over those periods. So people, the, the argument that it it's, couldn't have been comets because this happens more often than just this once, I don't think it has. But to focus on this, this recent air, um, period, we've had huge spikes and changes in temperature. Now, I think we were struck there, um, we were struck around about 12,800 years ago, and again, 11,600 years ago, um, which corroborates with the change in temp temperature um, on Earth. Interestingly, the 11,600 year date, the second of those impacts, is almost exactly the same um, year, same, same, same distance into the past that Plato gives, or Solon gave Plato, for the destruction of of Atlantis. Um, it, it, it's awfully close for it to be a coincidence. So Plato giving us specific times and dates, he couldn't possibly have known the Rickat structure existed because we hadn't been to space. He couldn't have known about the proposed date for us being struck. That date of as well has been, again, corroborated. They've now um, found an impact crater just off the, the sort of nor northwest coast of Greenland called the Hirawatha Crater. Um, ice cores within Dargan can see that there's the little glass spherules. Um, we can see that there was a, an impact event or there was a change in the, the Earth's atmosphere. Essentially, the Earth was, the, the sky was on fire for about 100 years. Um, and there's a huge, um, again, one, one for a separate, uh, a separate video or a separate discussion, but very easily Googleable, the Younger Dryas impact field, where you can see there was, there's huge, there's like essentially if you if you dug through the ground trying to describe this visually when i've not got the picture of me there's like a black stripe if you like through the layers the archaeological layers and it shows where essentially a lot of the um uh, mega flora the trees and bushes and everything just burnt for a fundamental just for a long time it just burnt, killed everything there was a huge huge area um the the layer the, the, the little black map layer can be seen um there were there was a huge extinction event. Most of the big animals that had on Earth, um, it's something like one sixth of the the large animals. So things sort of slightly smaller than us and upwards died out. Sorry, five sixths died out. Only a sixth was left. Um, nearly everything in North America died. North America essentially was on on fire for, for the whole period, but it impacted Europe as um, Northern Europe as well, and a little bit into South America, Africa was relatively un, un, um, impacted by the comet strike, the, 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 the initial strike. 
So the, the debris field hit that kind of north, northern west hemisphere, if you use the um, British-centric British view of the map where America's down the, um, the left-hand side and then Russia goes across the top. It's that sort of northwest corner. Everything was, was destroyed. Um, so we've had this impact event, which I said Plato's dates corroborate with it. We found ice core dates with it. This, this, it's the second impact that I think causes the most, um, the most damage. I think the first thing that's hit us, and there is some evidence that some damage was done. I think we had a glancing blow from the Taurids. Um, there's some, there's talk of, of the comets flying over us. There's some, there's been small spikes, uh, ge geologicals, but nothing. I would say is of significant enough interest compared to the 11,600 um, uh, date. Where that gets starts to get particularly interesting, so I was just referring back to my notes to make sure I haven't wandered off too far, um, is in fairly recent archaeological history, um, the Sahara was known to be uh, green. Um, it hasn't been a desert for quite a huge period of our recent history. Um, and around about 12-ish thousand years ago, the Sahara went from being a desert to being very lush and green. And then about five and a half thousand years ago, it went back to being a desert again. Now, the, the sort of accepted theory of this at the moment was that rivers flowed in and gradually, uh, and there were the changes of season and Earth's axis wobbled slightly. Where I would tie this into my own theory is I believe that the impact we had, and I said it's a number of comments, I, th I believe it was seven, and I'll, I'll justify that. I think we were struck seven times um, in by seven significant size comments, comets in 11,600 years ago. They hit us, um, the majority of them hit us from Greenland and then into the Atlantic Sea. Now, where that's important is the, the first strikes were up in the Northern Hemisphere, and destroyed essentially most of North America. The ones that landed in the Atlantic would have caused colossal tsunamis, not just of the scale that we've seen, like the the, the tragedy in Japan or the one out on the islands, uh, like Ache. Um, I mean, they were big, and we saw we saw the damage. It wiped uh, the, the tidal waves that hit there, or the tsunamis that hit there. The, the, the towers were only between 50 to 80 metres high and wiped some towns clear off the map. And that was just from earthquakes. What I'm describing, these were bigger, absolutely colossal size, like unimaginably big. Um, and I believe that some of these landed, hit the Atlantic Ocean and caused colossal waves Round, not only just for Atlantis, but this was a global event that, that it's, it's caused huge flood damage. Now, for the, for the listeners who have got access to a, um, a globe, you can, if you look at the um, west coast of Mauritania, there is evidence, quite clear evidence to the eye, that um, there is flood damage coming both in and out of the sea. Um, the current accepted theory is that there was there have been some water. Now, what I think happened was that tying the, 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 the Sahara together with sorry the green Sahara together along with this impact is that the waves were of such magnitude that they flooded inland. The comets coming to the west have flooded inland from the west. 
Um, and you can follow just by following on a map. You can see the, the the area that's supposedly wind damage, but is far too catastrophic to have been that. Um, the Rickat structure is absolutely in the firing line of where that tidal wave would have come through. So fits Plato's theory about uh, Atlantis disappearing under the waves. So the city of Atlantis would have absolutely copped that head on, flooded across there. There would have been such an amount of water, though, that it wasn't just a little wave comparatively like the one that hit Acha, but sort of only 50 to 80 metres high and then washed back in is that there was so much water this time and from the surrounding areas that it left the Mediterranean as a it, as a wetlands. It, it flooded the, the north, uh, left the northern Sahara as wetlands for a huge period of time. But some of that water did pull back out into the ocean as it would. Now, there's a lot of evidence around that, too. So coming, I'll come to the northern Sahara slightly more in a moment. Um, off the west coast of Mauritania, there is a lot of um, silt, debris, sand, whatever we'd like to call it, that has clearly been has come off the land. And usually it's described that this is what they call the Saharan desert uh, dust flux, um, which is the dust that blows off the Sahara and into the sea. Now, uh, even just a glance at that, there is it, there's too much for it. However, even allowing for like, taking it as 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 gospel that that is um, it is just dust. There was a huge spike in the dust flux, uh, Sahara dust flux. Again, this is Googleable. This is this is this is this is non pseudoscience stuff. This is the, the scientists' own stuff. There was a huge spike in that around about thirteen thousand years ago, way outside of the normal trends. That then dropped off significantly until around about 5,000 years ago, which happens to coincide with the period of the Sahara um, Sahara Green um, period. Um, and where that obviously would corroborate is that if, 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 if it's underwater, there's no dust to blow into the sea. It's already been washed off. So the huge spike would be that essentially the top layer of the Sahara was sucked back off into the ocean um and then then the green lands were there and there's there's um lots and lots of um, there's, there's cave paintings of hippos and things like that that couldn't possibly live in the sahara if it wasn't wetlands so there's there's a lot of uh, archaeological um evidence of that period um but the the evidence that the the tidal wave it, it wasn't just one way or the other which seems to be what most of the um books and theories i've seen i think both happened i think that some of the water washed back off and this would have been where um, Atlantis coming back to our original point um, this is where Atlantis was in because it's right in the firing line that a, a tidal wave of that so we, we saw what it did to the things we've seen in our own lifetime um, if you can wash a city off the coast then a wave of that magnitude being hit by comets is going to do a staggering amount of damage it, it's going to scorch off the face of the earth and essentially that's what's left um, that's left at the Rickat structure. The other, um, the other key thing to to, to note around the, the comet strikes, um, well, let's not even refer to them as comet strikes, around the, the Younger Dryas event, that sea level raised a staggering amount of time in a very short space of time. Um, it, it raised in the re in the way of region of about three three hundred four hundred feet. 
um, in, in a very um, short space. It's about 100, 120 meters. Now, raising sea level that much that quickly um, would have also have a huge impact on the rest of the world. So uh, taking tidal waves and destruction aside, even now, as we are, as, as, as you mentioned, in our hundred years of history that we've got at the moment, the majority of people live by water because it's very good. We can fish, we can get all sorts of natural resources from water. Very few people live in mountains. So if you suddenly raise sea, sea level by 150, 120, 150 metres overnight or over the space of a year, um, whole countries would disappear. Nearly all of the Netherlands would be gone. Uh, most of the east coast of Britain would be just disappeared. There's, there's huge, London would be just gone. And that's just raising it without any of the destruction that comes with it. Um, so a colossal amount of damage would be done. So evidence of what would be left, again, would just start to disappear. And I mean, with this panic at the moment, about sea level raising a centimetre or two and the damage that would do. Um, now, if we're raising it over 100 metres, I mean, it would destroy humanity. We, we, we wouldn't survive an impact event like that again. Um, and our buildings are flimsy by comparison. You know, we don't build buildings like the pyramids anymore. They're, they're not built out of stone to, to deal with using our buildings fall down. You know, we have a minor earthquake and everything collapses. So the the his, the, 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 um, the, 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 the flimsiness of it, we're so frail now, humanity. We're so reliant on the, the technology and our, our um, smartphones and things. We, you know, there's no app for surviving a flood. So we are in this very odd um, place in history where the, the, our ancestors were, could easily have been wiped out. Um, I believe they were. Um, so the, the coastal coastal civilizations, and there's numerous sites. They found them off, off of Cuba. Um, there is a city off the west coast of India called, it's either pronounced Dwarka or Dvarka, I'm not quite sure, D-W-A-R-K-A. Flooded ruins off the coast of India. Um, between India and Sri Lanka, there's Adam's Bridge, which the um, Indians historically referred to. They thought it was a land bridge that had been built um, by humans, our ancestors. Um, it's still now visible, perfectly visible on Google Earth. Um, and if you drop sea level 100 metres, would be above sea level. Um, there is the Mediterranean city of Pavlopetri off the coast of Greece which was flooded just over 5,000 years ago. Um, there's, there's loads. Uh, there's loads of history around that things that have gone disappeared under the water. Um, Atlantis being a, a huge, uh, the most famous one to us, but it's not the only one around the world. It's, uh, it makes sense why all the rich people live in Switzerland, <laughs> yeah. high up. But one thing, you know, they f they find dinosaur bones and that. But that book you mentioned earlier, nothing remains. Uh, so, uh, but how come the dinosaur bones remain if nothing else does? It's a good a good question, and we do find some dinosaur bones, but not many. Um, that considering the number of dinosaurs existed on Earth, I mean, they were wiped out was sixty five million years ago. They existed for 200, 250 million years prior to that. We've only found about a few hundred dinosaurs, and even then, it's always part bits, and they're generally buried in mud or something. We don't just find bones lying around. They're generally encased in something. Same with human bones. Um, and when we had the famous 
faked Lucy skeleton that turned out not to be true. We haven't found an awful lot of human bones. Um, and there's a whole different conspiracy theory around, you know, us coming from space. Um, the archaeological record for human bones, considering they're a lot younger than dinosaurs, there's basically none. There's hardly any evidence that humans ever even lived in terms of the bones because they just disintegrate. And the same with dinosaur bones. They're generally found encased in something that's preserved them over time, but very, very little um, and a lot of the skeletons that we've got, certainly in the Natural History Museum in London, um, the, the main, they used to be T-Rex in the front doors if you ever went there. Um, and they replaced some of the bones. They had to make some of them up to fill in the gaps so you had a full skeleton. And when they openly admit that, it was to make it, to, to fill in what they'd found. The T-Rex was probably 80 to 90% complete, but they did fill in, excuse me, like an odd thigh bone or bits and pieces. But the... But the the evidence that we've got, the digging the bones bit up, the archaeology bits, it was never quite like Jurassic Park. You very rarely found um, the whole skeleton. It might be a chewed out bone where one dinosaur had eaten something else. Um, but very, 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 very little it, it, it intact, full intact um, uh, skeletons for, for those. But what about plastic? How, did that book mention how long it would take for plastic to vanish completely? It, it does, um, and off the top of my head, I couldn't, I can't remember because there's different types of plastic. There's a whole chapter about it, um, but plastic is one of the things that does last an awful long time. And he's, he's he, the environmentalist in him does sort of make that point very clear that um, <laughs> plastic is going to be one of the things that's here long, long after we've died. Plastic will out, out, um, outlive probably the majority of us in terms of our archaeological history. Um, so we could assume that the ancient civilization at least wasn't plastic. Uh, <laughs> I think they were a little bit more environmentally responsible than us. Yes, <laughs> but so see the, the so coming to my other, I've I've alluded to it. So coming back to the other um, other point. So I think we had our comet impact, the second significant one in our let's call it in our historical lifetime. Um, but there's also um, there's also been another sea level raise now, and there's two areas I'll, I can talk about for for Western for our Western listeners. But there are others around the world. But I'll pick on two specifically, um, which will wander me into where the um, my, my sort of my final point, conscious of time as well. Um, the the Mediterranean. Um, there is numerous. Um, stories and um, historical stories around how the Mediterranean ha hasn't been a sea for very long. Now, I, I stand with those who think it, it was flooded around about five and a half thousand years ago. Um, it hasn't been a sea the whole time. There are so many things in the Mediterranean um, underneath the water. Like I said Pavla Petri being a prime example. Um, and even the archaeologists admit that that was, that was flooded around about five, five to five and a half thousand years ago. Um, off Malta has got what look like railway tracks running into the water. I mean, there's just it's, it, endless amounts of things that were under there. Um, in Egyptian um, mythology, um, when the the ten original gods, the kings of um, uh, of Mauritania, there was there was ten. Um, shortening the story very much, two of them fell out, which would have been Osiris and Isis, who they believed were real people. They moved into the Mediterranean Valley not see at the time um and over a number over a number of um period of time 
uh, they ended up teaching people how to build things and generally being wonderful and then moving up in the, the pyramids were then either built by them or as temples for them regardless in the mythologies that they refer to the Mediterranean as a valley. Um, the other place that's often referred to as a valley, um, which brings me neatly on to how, how, how I would look to wrap this up, is uh, the Persian Gulf. Now, Persian Gulf, um, again, there are a, n- a number of cities, uh, archaeological sites that have been found not that far under the sea, uh, under sea current sea level, um, but if you drop sea level back down, by three, four hundred feet at least, um, they would be sitting neatly above water. Um, the reason why the Persian Gulf is so significant, so I'm just moving my notes around slightly so I'm in the right place, um, is the one of the huge challenges that I've often had is there would be more evidence that that this happened. It wouldn't just be Plato. We would we'd have the little bits of um, archaeological evidence we've got aren't enough so where i the other part of of what i studied at university which caught my attention was there being the two schools of thought one of them being science and the other one being religion now to use the, the version of the bible that i know um the the sort of the, the king james version if you like um i think the bible actually does tell this story and quite clearly in a number of cases um the bit of my theory that has, has proved to be slightly controversial so far is that I think that Revelation isn't the last book of the Bible. I think it's the first book of the Bible. Now, there's a number of reasons for this. Um, one of the key key ones is that the is that Revelation is written in the past tense. Um, it's describing things that have happened. It isn't a threat of what will happen, as some of the um, other prophecies allude to this will happen that will happen that's not how revelation's written revelation is very specifically written um as as if it had happened in history and if you put it neatly in front of genesis um it makes quite a lot of chronological sense that instead of um genesis being a birth at the very start in the in in the beginning god created um it, it then becomes the rebirth of humanity adam meaning man in its broader sense not a man just mankind um the garden of eden being a place where humanity can respawn from and again there's there's quite a lot of evidence to support that it because in the bible it very specifically gives a location for the garden of eden um that four rivers run out of it two of them being the tigris and the Euphrates, well, they're rivers we know where they are, and they both currently run out of the northwestern end of the Persian Gulf. Um, so if you drop sea level down, you've suddenly got a location where the cradle of humanity sits essentially round by Persia, which happens to be the area of the world where a lot of our civilizations, the Babylonians, the Sumerians, um, mysteriously started up five or six thousand years ago. So the, the, the advanced humans that we're saying, um, or the advanced um, construction, all seems to have spawned in an area of the world that the Bible also corroborates and says, yeah, this is where humanity started. And what I propose is it's a restart, it's a rebirth, um, not just a start. And where the, though using Revelation and 
let's call it regenesis as our as our second book of the Bible. Um, a lot of the numbers do start to, to um, correlate. Um, in Bible, the um, we've got the seven angels. This, what I would say is, is the seven comets. As it's talking through, it describes um, it's seven. Seven's the key number all the way through. You've got your seven churches in the Bible. The seven angels. The translation of angels is messenger, as opposed to it being the angel drawn with a halo and wings. So messengers coming from the sky, seven stars in the night is referred to. Revelation one twenty refers to the seven stars of are the seven angels, the seven lamps. It's always seven all the way through. It refers to the beast with seven heads. So the seven is such a significant number um, all the way through. Um, also, Revelation, oh, I can't put the numbers. That would be one uh, just after 120. Um, John's asked to write down what is revealed to the seven churches. Now, here, I think this is them recording the apocalypse. And it goes in. I won't go into the, any of the listeners can can read this section. So I'm, I will pick out some of the more um, poignant bits um, that you've got the 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 the, the, the horsemen of the apocalypse come into it um, on the various days. Um, and the first three that turn up are in whichever order they are, red, white and black. Again, which is very coincidentally the same colour as the stones that were being used as construction at the time. Um, so there's, there's a lot there. And the fourth one's a pale horse. Um, which could easily refer to the desert, a number of things, but the, the colours are very interesting. That they, it happens to be the same, the same areas. It may just be a coincidence, but the seven featuring the whole way through does seem to be a rather significant um, uh, coincidence. Where it also gets interesting um, is is the animals that are used through um, the. Uh, through the Bible, that the, and because the animal, animals are referred to quite a lot, and people are referred to as animals quite a lot. Um, so let's pick which way around to do those. So, for instance, um, Jesus is often referred to as the Lamb of God, and in astrological terms, the Lamb, the Lamb of God, would be Aries, is as our Lamb, or uh, is is a, is a animal, a cloven hoof animal. Um, and the way, if you go through the way we pass through star signs in the 25,000 um, year cycle of the major um, star signs we've got in the sky, um, the next star sign that we see is Pisces. Um, now, a lot of the religious folk, let's use the, using the Pope as an example, um, the Pope's hat is shaped to look like a fish fish mouth. There's a lot of ancient um scripture uh, sorry ancient um hieroglyphs that draw people wearing like a fish garb with a hat and like a tail down the back which a lot of the i mean that, that, that's hieroglyphic and all over the place um so there's lots of drawing around fish replacing the lamb of god um we've also got jesus is often referred to as um as, as a lion um we have the wrath of um Oh, what's what do you call it? The the wrath. So we've got the wrath of the incurring the wrath of the lamb, the lion incurring the wrath of the lamb. Um, the Virgin Mary. We've got Virgo moving, Virgo moving into Leo. The star signs that they're picking, we tr treating them as 
the stories as if as if they're referring to an actual thing where all they're referring to is the change in age of star signs um so as a, the case in point our previous the previous giant uh, the f- previous great age was um was aries which ended around about one common era one one bc so the sacrificial lamb as we see it the bible story is absolutely coincidentally um in line so it's absolutely in line with the end of an age an astrological astrological age of the lamb so the lamb dying is is, is aries and we're then moving into the um, age of pisces um jesus being born of a virgin that's the lion being born of a virgin, which is referred to in Revelations 5 to 6 and Genesis. So the my first and the second book of the Bible, Genesis 49, 8 to 10, once again refers to the lion being born of a virgin, which is the age of the star signs, the star signs in chronological order. So the Bible itself, and oh God, I could sit and go on all, all night tonight, but the Bible does corroborate a lot of these stories, but now has become, and that's even with, whether people say it's been altered or not, and not even without not without debating that, the stories that are in the Bible do corroborate a lot of the history and the dates and times and the facts that are there. Like I said, Re- Revelation's written; um, it's written as if it has happened. It's not written like Plato's. It's not written as a threat. It's not saying these things will happen if you don't. It gives specific numbers of people that survive. It names tribes of people that have survived. Um, and then to, to, to finish off, if ever there was um, more evidence needed, the, the Noah flood story is quite specific too. Now, some of the animals, whether they've come two by two from Australia to jump on a boat, taking the, the, the little bits of the story aside, the fact that the Bible has a flood story of earth being wiped out and surviving it's even got that too and the the bible itself has been passed around lots of it was passed down from person to person vocally stories are always going to get altered but there in the bible the biggest selling book on earth in the western world we have evidence we have we have a story of a flood we have a story of, of comets coming out of the sky with fire and brimstone burning down and we have the rebirth of humanity from an area in the Persian Gulf, which we know was the cradle of civilization. So the, the the science and the religion actually neatly overlap each other. They're not they're not at odds with each other. They're actually corroborating each other's stories. Um, so and that sort of brings me to my conclusion that um, in, a, in a strange way, everyone could be right. Um, and we just hopefully can start digging into history and finding more evidence to to support this so if people want to check out more of your work where, where can they do that so i've i've got the my youtube channel is i haven't started posting all my videos yet um i'm writing scripts so the, the first video will be up around about sort of similar time to this um but my youtube channel is called is at humanity hoax or one word um i have a twitter handle as well which is um which is the same um, and my, my Twitter is a little bit more informal, but I interact with a number of other channels as well. So you'll see not only the people, not only my own content, but some of the um, of, of people I we have spirited debates on Twitter um, as well for me to follow. But 2023 is my big year from getting everything that's out of my head onto paper and onto um, 
podcast and video once I'm brave enough. But the the first, my first major video that I'm working on, I'm editing at the moment, um, which I'm hoping to have out maybe well, very soon, um, will be entitled Catastrophism. And I've got a lot of the graphics I've referred to tonight and hopefully described well um, will be within that video so I can talk through the various maps and, and regions of the world as well for the for the people who've um i've not scared off <laughs> with, with this version <laughs> okay cool well thanks a lot for taking the time to be on the podcast and and thanks for having me and um and hopefully if i said if anyone wants to reach out and have a chat i'm i'm accessible and um hopefully come back on one day soon and um have a part two check out humanity hoax on twitter one word or search humanity hoax on youtube and you can also search National Alchemist on uh, YouTube, of course, to find my channel and follow the podcast in social media and leave a nice review. Uh, uh, don't forget to do that also on Spotify. Click those five stars. Why don't you? Uh, I will end this episode with the beautiful track Icarus Flies by John Mark Harris. Links to his music and other links can be found in the program notes on nationalalchemist.com. Uh, all right, that's it. Talk soon. Freedom is in the mind. Thank you.